Lifestyle Matters, it's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Leanna Wachnick, filling in for Dave Popovich. I appreciate the opportunity. Nice to be here, Well, Faisal. thank you for joining us. It's going to be a really good show. We're going to bring a, a bunch of topics. Mm -hmm. One, romance fraud. Mm-hmm. Now, people don't really know what romance fraud is, so this is going to be a really interesting segment. I think it is. It's going yeah. to be a really interesting one. And, of course, we're seeing more because of what's happened in 2022 with the markets and everything. Um, confidence in retirement's dropping. Mm -hmm. I think people are going to be alarmed with how bad the confidence levels are in this country. I was certainly shocked to hear the statistics, so it is definitely going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to talk to somebody from the Canadian Public Pension Leadership Council about that report. You had a conversation with a few clients this week about um, their spending in retirement mm -hmm. or their spending currently. Mm -hmm. And um, the question is, you know, do you have enough to retire has always come up. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that as well today. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be interesting. Good show. Sure. sure. But first of all, actually, I know you guys usually talk about the markets a little bit on this, but on this segment. But the interesting thing that I think we've heard this week and I'm hearing from people is a question about what's actually going on. There's a lot of headlines. We've had a lot of economic data in the last few weeks. People are watching the central banks. Maybe from your perspective, can you share with us what is the actual news that people should be paying attention to versus the noise that's out there? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. When we're looking at the data that's coming out, and like you said, inflation numbers came out in the U.S. and Canada over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're trying to gather what's the next step of the economy. When you start breaking down inflation and the impacts of it, there are, there are a few things that people need to look at. If inflation stays sticky, which we believe there's a high probability of that happening for 2024, then interest rates are going to continue to go up. Now, how many times? That's the big debate. But that also means that there's going to be a slowdown to some degree in the economic growth. So you have to kind of look at that and say, okay, if we're having a slower economic growth, where are the areas of growth in the economy? Because mm -hmm. not all industries are treated equal in any economic situation, mm -hmm. in an expansion or contraction. Mm -hmm. uh, they all have differing views. So we've been very active this month in the portfolio on our growth side because we've been shifting around to say, this is where the growth areas are. This is the opportunities over the next 12, 18 months. So let's adjust accordingly. Um, and I think what people are focused on now is just inflation. Mm -hmm. And they're just looking at inflation equals higher interest rates. That's it. Higher interest rates mean recession. And recession means stock market's going to fall. I think they're making a too much of a linear analysis on that. They're not digging in deep to say, hang on, not all companies suffer the same way in a recession. Not all areas are going to be impacted. And I call this the K-shaped recovery. Okay. So think of the letter K. You got one part of the K going up and one part of the K going down. There's going to be industries that are not going to do well. Mm -hmm. There's going to be industries that, industry that are going to do well, regardless of how, how bad this, this situation may be in the short term. So we need to pivot ourselves in our portfolio to a, to a to accommodate for that type of recovery. It's not going to be all boats are going to be lifted and it's not going to be all boats are going to sink. So let's look at this as a K-shaped recovery. And I think we're going to head our, our, our way that way. And I think that's some of the data that's come out is kind of supporting that information. I think that's a really important point as well because it's not, the market is not a homogenous one unit. 
different pieces move in different ways at different times with different stimulus. So the interesting thing about that, and I think what a lot of people don't consider, you know, you hear this debate in the media, are we going to get a soft landing, quote unquote, mm -hmm. for the interest rate increases, be able to maneuver through without seeing a recession or maybe just a very slight technical recession. It's not a, it will it or won't it, a A or B scenario. There's actual, there's a lot of different moving pieces in there. But then the question becomes, how do you actually take that back to your individual portfolio for the average investor? And what should you be thinking about when you're looking at those kinds of scenarios? Here's what a typical portfolio will look like. We're going to invest for the long term. Let's call it 10 years. We're going to live off of uh, or have some sort of cash flow, meaning dividends. And we're going to protect ourselves because we have that dividends coming in. And I think that can be a big mistake this year, especially. If you look at the dividend paying stocks and how they performed this year, especially in the US, they've done negative. Mm -hmm. So it's not a dividend story. It's not a cash flow of dividends. And I think that's where part of the mistake comes into play. So positioning your portfolio, looking at it as two different areas. There's, we know we could be in a recession. Let's call it 50 to 60% probability we're heading to a recession. Not a very deep one, in, in our opinion, um, but a recession nonetheless. So you have to position the portfolio to be prepared for that. And you also have to be prepared for a 40 to 50% chance of this soft landing. And when that happens, you're gonna see this big uptick in the market. Now, that could happen sooner than the declaration of soft landing or recession, um, but there's gonna be that opportunity. And there's areas of the economy, size of companies, the ability to be dynamic and maneuver in your business is where they're gonna see the, the benefits of that. That's the opportunity. So look for the opportunity for growth, but be prepared in the portfolio. If you just have one investment style going in, then you are bound by that outcome. And that could take years for recovery, which when you're transitioning to or living in retirement, you don't have that luxury of time. Absolutely, and that's something I think a lot of people worry about. I talk to a lot of people certainly who are approaching their sort of 10 years away, five years away, and looking at the market's way forever. Or they're looking at the word recession. And that becomes very scary because they assume that means a drop in their portfolio size overall, absolutely across the board. So I guess what, what advice or what suggestions would you give to people when they're looking at their portfolio, they're maybe five or 10 years away from retirement and going, where should I be from an investment perspective? How much risk can I take on? And do I need to worry about recession and, infl and inflation? for the long term? Is this going to last for the whole of my retirement? So let me answer that by starting off with um, our industry does a very good job at making assumptions. When you do a retirement plan or a financial plan, you have to base it under some sort of assumptions. Now, if you're feeling like it's going to be a high inflation period for a very long time, your assumption may be higher for the inflation rate you put in your analysis. If you believe that interest rates are going to be high for a very long period of time, you're going to use that as part of your assumption. So our industry is very good at assuming stuff and building a plan based on those assumptions. So when you are five years away, 10 years away from retirement, retirement's not a destination. It's a long-term journey. So you cannot base it upon what's going to happen five years from now or what's going to happen 10 years from now. You have to go through a longer period of time. 
if you're 10 years away from retirement and you have a 25 year retirement, now you're planning for 35 years of your life. Mm -hmm. So start there. Mm -hmm. What's gonna happen most likely 35 years out? Best indicator is how the world has been over the past 100 years. And you can start building your strategy in clumps of five year increments declining to today's date. So 35 years out, 30 years out, 25, so on and so forth. When you start building that out, then you run that through every market condition. And then you can say, based on that, what's the probability of success? This is the biggest um, deficiency in financial planning. They do not look for every scenario that could happen in history. And if it was to happen again, what would be the outcome in my, in my financial situation? Because I'm planning for 30 years out and that becomes a challenge. Leanna, there's um, more and more information out there about um, the confidence or shall we say lack of confidence in retirement. Mm -hmm. 2022 was a very challenging year when we look at markets, when we look at inflation, and look at what's going on out there. People still want to do a whole bunch of things like travel and so forth. And maybe the confidence has been a little bit rattled. And how it's changed as well over the last few years. I think that's probably also one of the really interesting things that we've seen. I don't think it'd be too surprising to Canadians that there that there's a change overall in the confidence level. I think we got to get into the details of why uh, a bit more and, and what does that mean for the average individual approaching or living in retirement. And we've got our guest here, Kristen Beaver. She's the chair of chair and re, of research committee at the Canadian Public Pension Leadership Council. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's go right into it. Uh, according to the survey, 15% uh, less likely in 2022 to express confidence. Tell me more about what are some of the key factors that played into this, I'll call it lack of confidence. I think you really touched on it in your opening remarks. The survey didn't get into the individual factors, but the whole reason we ran the survey in 2022 was because the world was such a different place compared to 2016. So inflation, as you touched on, interest rates, when we look at housing affordability, all of these things at a, at a broad level clearly seem to be affecting Canadians' confidence in their ability to retire when and how they want. And as you mentioned, it, we saw a 15 percentage point decrease in, the, in that confidence. So in 2016, 44% uh, of Canadians thought that they'd be able to retire when they would like to. And in 2020, that dropped to 29%. Wow. That's, that's a big drop there. Can you maybe give us maybe a Alberta or kind of Western Canada specific number to that? Yeah, the most notable one in Alberta where we saw a difference compared to um, trends in other parts of Canada was in the expectation to retire debt free. And what we saw there was a 20 percentage point decrease. So in 2016, 49% uh, of folks in the prairies thought that they'd be able to retire debt free whereas in 2022 that it dropped to 29%. And we can compare that to the numbers for Canada, which was actually a 16 percentage point decrease. So in the Prairie region, it was a much bigger decrease. So I'm shocked already because the, the, the 2016 numbers weren't very bright anyways, less than half of the people didn't feel they're gonna retire on time or retire debt free. And now we're I, less than a third are feeling that so it was it's gone from bad to worse in my my view is that is that how you see the data 
It is, but we also see opportunities. I think what it's showing us is that we need to do more for Canadians so that they can retire with confidence. And the report talks a bit about this. Um, we need to find uh, solutions for Canadians to retire with ease, with confidence, and to save while they're working. So we talk about expanding access to, to pension plans while Canadians are working. And we also talk about the importance of financial literacy, because when we're talking about confidence at an individual level, you don't know if that person feels a lack of confidence, but they actually are able to retire, or if they find retirement to be sort of a mysterious subject right and so it it's giving them stress to think about it and so we really see financial literacy uh, as something that could that could be used to address this so while the numbers uh, are not terrific we we see that there's opportunities that people can can jump on to try and make it better for for canadians let's go down that financial literacy path if we can what areas of recommendation would you give to whichever provincial federal governments the education system and we're talking about people who are gone through the primary years of their school they've gone through post-secondary and they're still feeling this stress so there's a lack of financial literacy to some degree with that group of the population what can the governments and other programs and associations do to increase the financial literacy for that demographic specifically that's a really good question I think one of the things we see is inflation has really reared its head. A lot of working Canadians probably have not had to consider inflation beyond maybe a theoretical uh, concept, and now it's really in their face. And I think addressing inflation as a key topic of financial literacy is, is key. Another thing would be looking at, as we say, people feel less confident that they'll be able to retire without debt. So debt management clearly needs to be an important topic of financial literacy for, for, for Canadians of all ages. Uh, one of the things that was the same in both surveys when we looked at it was the driver of retirement stress. And in both surveys, it was equally high numbers of Canadians saying that they are afraid of running out of money in retirement. That is the fear of when, when they're stressed out about retirement, that's the main thing that they're concerned about. And so I think in terms of financial literacy, we also need to talk about, uh, do you have a plan? Do you participate in a, in a plan at work? If you don't and you have the opportunity, <laughs> why not? And, and helping people to understand why that would be helpful. Uh, times are tough and maybe the short-term uh, savings right now, it, it feels like a lot, but thinking long-term about how that's going to help you and make you feel more confident when it is time to retire. Uh, the other thing we could look at in terms of financial literacy and stress is what products are available to help you. So if your fear is running out of uh, money in retirement, are there products available that you know about that could help you turn some of your uh, savings into an income stream. Sorry, yeah, Leanne, I was just going to jump in there because I think uh, what Kristen is talking to us about, I think there's, you and I have these, these chats almost every single day. Um, there are two types of plans I think Canadians definitely need. One is a health plan. Mm -hmm. I think they don't do that on a regular basis to understand baseline where they're at and where they want to be from a health perspective. And I don't believe that the lion's share of Canadians have a financial, a written financial plan. Right. And I don't think that um, 
what our industry has done has turned a financial plan into a selling tool. Yes, yes. And it's not the real, it's a health check for your finances that it should be. Correct. But something that we actually go back to on a regular basis that you, that you use to then make decisions about your financial future. And I think that's where the, the, the change can also happen, Chris. And I think there's a lot that financial institutions can do. Of course, they're in the business to make money. And of course, if they're going to be utilizing tools like a financial plan to generate more sales, I, I understand how that business works. It's not in the greater good of the public always, uh, but, it, it all, it can, but it can be mandated from other areas of how to get this done. Health plans, wealth plans, or financial plans, I think are necessary. Who do you think bears that responsibility? Is it the provinces? Is it a federal government? Or is it other associations outside of financial institutions that should be really promoting the whole concept of financial well-being? We talk about in the report approaching financial literacy as a as a holistic thing and we do talk about there being maybe opportunities for government to partner with nonprofits in order to help Canadians access things. There are programs, for example, that exist for debt management that are run by nonprofit organizations. So if, if Canadians are concerned about that, that is an option. Uh, in terms of assigning responsibility, uh, that's a very tough question because everyone's lives are so different. <laughs> and um, But one of the things we do talk about as an opportunity is employers actually uh, could benefit from providing financial literacy uh, to their to their employees. Uh, when we looked at some of the stress, uh, it affected all aspects of Canadians' lives, including productivity at work. And notably, the biggest thing when you speak about health is that 47% of Canadians said that retirement planning stress has at least a moderate impact on their health. And so that, of course, has implications for productivity as well. So there's a real opportunity for employers to embrace financial literacy um, as something that's good for their employees generally, but also is very good for them when you're thinking about things like productivity and, and not having employees stressed out while they're, while they're on the job with you. Productivity, financial stress, and hopefully a better health system. And we can definitely well, do that uh, for sure in the future. I want to thank you, Kristen, for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. We've been joined by Kristen B for Chair of, Re Chair of Research Committee at the Canadian Public Pension Leadership Council. Now, romance scams is something that we talk about increasingly often with some of our clients. And I know that you've actually had a recent experience with that. Yeah, I want to tell you this story, Liana, because um, I think it's, it's something that raised a flag for us. Uh, we have an individual that um, sat down with us for a meeting and he uh, basically was telling us that he's dating somebody out of New York. Fantastic. We're happy to hear that you're happy. You know, how many times do you get to meet this person? Oh, I've never met her. Okay. How do you, how do you stay in contact? Oh, we're communicating online and we're having chats. And I want to go down to New York to see her. But she's asking me to send some money over so I can get into this investment with her. And I want to send $100,000 over. And of course, flags are flying everywhere for us. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, no, no, we got to stop this. Slow this down. Let's figure this out before you send $100,000 over. I'll, I'll, I'll make a long story short by saying basically what was happening in the situation is that they were trying, this person was trying to get uh, the individual here in Calgary to send money to some sort of investment so that he can make 20 times his money mm -hmm. and they'll send it back. And, and it was a big issue. It, we found out it was 
he was being scammed by an individual. The individual was not in New York, mm -hmm. hence why they haven't met. Uh, but it's it's something that caused a concern, and that's why we we have this guest on our show to talk about these types of frauds are happening all the time. This is one example, but there's a whole bunch of we'll call them romance scams that are out there, and we have our guest from the Alberta Securities Commission, Cynthia Campbell, Director of Enforcement. Uh, Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So let's talk about this. Romance scams, what are they? Well, Faisal, as you've described, these types of romance scams are, are becoming increasingly common and they're very much, as you've described, where individuals meet online, there's a virtual relationship, whether it's through a dating website or, or other ways, email messages, other ways of meeting online. And the scammer works to build the trust and affection of the person that they are trying to victimize. So they they create this artificial relationship that, that the other individual believes is real. And it often results in the, the scammers either directly asking for money or is in the situation you've described that we're seeing a lot more often now, encouraging the victim to invest, to send them, either send the, the other person money to invest on their behalf or to invest directly into a scam website. So, so what should people be doing to be on the lookout for this? Like, are they are they targeting specific individuals with a certain type of profile, or is this so broad that we should be doing some more? I'll call it due diligence before we start getting to an on online relationship. These types of romance scams are part of a broader group of investment scams. Romance scams are just one version of an investment scam. And we are seeing a proliferation across Canada and globally of these investment scams. So there, there are things that people should be watching out for. And, and we should all be aware that technology is enabling these scams to happen more frequently and to be better. And, and more customized to each person. So, you know, a, a romance scam, there may be some people who, who are seeking a relationship who may be more vulnerable to that type of scam. There may be others who will fall victim to investment scams because they're interested in saving funds for their children's education or they're looking to boost their retirement savings. So there's, it's what I call now a scam for everyone. Um, and so we should be beware of that and, and not think that there are only certain people who are who are vulnerable. We're all potentially vulnerable now. So in terms of what to watch for, we need to really be careful, especially online, um, and ask ourselves first, is the person or company or this investment opportunity registered? It's important to invest through registered individuals and firms and, and trading platforms to ensure that they're selling qualified investments and that they meet the regulatory requirements. It's really easy in Alberta to check registration. The, the Alberta Securities Commission has a website called checkfirst.ca. People can go there, go to, to the list of registration, type in a name, and find out whether or not that person or company is registered in Alberta. Another step people can take is to take your time. Don't get pressured into sending money quickly or investing in something immediately. Um, that's often a red flag when someone's trying to act with high pressure. To be aware of investing through people um, and, and those that you've only met online, you don't actually know that person in person. Um, if we, we see a lot of, of these artificial relationships where, whether it's romantic or otherwise, where someone's looking simply to gain trust and to use that for fraudulent reasons. So what are some of the most common um, 
let's say, red flags that are involved in these types of scams? Like, what are the things that pop up that people should, they should catch their attention and say, maybe I should do a double check about this? We often say if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And, and from my experience, it almost always is too good to be true. If someone is offering uh, an investment where they say, look, it's a safe bet, they're guaranteed high returns, there's little or no risk involved, um, be really, really careful. The reality is that with high returns and investments comes high risk, even if it's a legitimate investment. So beware of that. Um, beware if, if an investment is being offered through a close friend or a family member, a work colleague. What we're seeing is that, that the scammers are bringing one person in and building trust with that person. And sometimes that person will even be able to take some of their money back out of the investment. So I might put $100,000 in this scenario into this online investment platform and look to get a return and pull some of that money out and they may allow me to do that. And the reason that happens is they're building my trust because as soon as I say, hmm, I'm making a lot of money off this, I'm much more likely now to go and tell my family, my friends, people I work with. You know, we have one individual in Edmonton where we found out this one person who had been victimized brought 38 other people into the scam with her um, because she thought she was doing her friends, family and, and colleagues a favor by helping them. So, so be really careful that just because it's someone you know, uh, it doesn't mean that it, it's actually a genuine investment. Cynthia, we've got about two minutes left. I wanna, I wanna ask you a question like this. So my father is 79 years of age. He goes online, he calls it the Yahoo, by the way, it's not just Yahoo, he calls it the Yahoo. So we kind of get an idea of his thought process there. Um, and on the Yahoo comes up this opportunity to invest, well, we'll get him 20% returns. What questions should my father be asking before he clicks, yes, I want to invest? The first thing you should ask is, can I afford to give this money away to a fraudster? And if I can't, I probably shouldn't be doing this. You should be asking, is, is this online platform that he's seeing, is it registered? Go to checkfirst.ca and see if it's registered. He should be aware that the vast majority of online investment opportunities where people are being offered an opportunity to invest directly right now, the vast majority of these are scams. There are only 10 or 11 crypto trading platforms in Canada that are registered through a securities regulator, but there are thousands out there that are offering these opportunities. So it's really important to check registration. Um, and, and if your father were by chance to invest in one of these. What we see then is people who have been victimized will be approached with opportunities to recover their money. And they need to know that those, those are also scams. We call them recovery room scams, where it's the same fraudsters will reach out and, and try to help them. So sometimes people dig themselves into a hole by becoming a victim of these frauds and they, they actually keep digging deeper because they now think they're working with someone online who's going to help them. But if you pay a fee, um, you'll, you may get your money back. It's just more money being, being put into the hands of the fraudsters. Great information, great advice, not only for my dad, but for everybody listening and watching this, we've been joined by Cynthia Campbell, Director Enforcement of the Alberta Securities Commission. Cynthia, thank you once again. Thank you very much. Um, Leanna, we are talking about um, when do you know that you have enough to retire? 
And that is probably number one of the number one questions that we get, and it's becoming more and more complicated for people to answer. We've kind of heard a couple of different numbers in the media. You know, do I need $1.7 million to retire? That's been a question that's come up a fair number of times over the last little bit. But I think part of the reason it's becoming more complicated is the fact that it's not the same as this generation's parents' retirement. So we have the idea of, you know, seniors live on a fixed income. You hear that. Where did that come from? Well, because 30, 40 years ago, when this generation's parents were retiring, they had more likely a pension plan from their company. They had CPP. They maybe had OAS at that point. And that was it. They had a fixed monthly amount that they had every month that they could use to budget with. Fast forward to people who are retiring today or planning to retire in the next few years, and they probably don't have a company pension plan. We were talking in the last segment about people having less confidence about retiring. That is partly because there isn't that guaranteed source of income there for a lot of Canadians, but also it's their savings that they're relying on. So the question really becomes, how much should you save to support yourself in retirement? In order to understand how much you need to save, you need to know how much you're making and you need to know how much you're spending. That's right. And I think that's a big change. If I, I'm doing this for 25 years, I can tell you 20 years ago, people knew how much they were spending every single month, generally. Today, it's a gauge, uh, roughly between this amount and that amount, you know? They don't have the, this is how much, people don't have that, that understanding of where all their money is going to. And that becomes more challenging. So when you're putting together a savings plan and you don't have money at the end of the month to save because you don't know where all your money is going, that's a big concern. Well, and it's interesting because I think what, again, generationally, we've lost this sort of tactile connection to your money. You don't have to sit down and pay every individual bill that you've had over the month with either cash or a checkbook that you're writing out. Yeah. You, it just, it comes off of your card. It comes direct debited out of your accounts and it just goes. And you don't actually necessarily know where it's going. You don't necessarily have a sense for what you're spending it on. You've signed up to something eight months ago and you don't remember and the subscription is still paying out on your card or whatever. That, those are all things that make it more difficult to actually gauge where your spending is going. That's why I hate direct withdrawal. I don't like it. And, and the reason why I don't like it is because it, it's a, it makes me go into another application to see my spending. I like everything being charged to my credit card. Mm -hmm. I like to see exactly what my credit card bill is every single month. And my credit card company itemizes every single type of spending. Um, miscellaneous is one category that I, I spend a lot in, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's nice to know how much I'm spending month over month over month because that bill that comes in, and I pay it off in full, but I know that this is how much I spent this month. With the exception to a mortgage or a car payment, I prefer everything to be on my credit card. Unfortunately, my property taxes can't put on my credit card. My utility bill doesn't let me use a credit card. Um, but, but beyond that, everything's on the credit card. That gives me more control over my spending. Mm -hmm. 
I think you're you've nailed it when you said that now we're we're open to a variable type of income in retirement, which requires a lot of opportunity to dig into your principal when you need it because you might have overspent. But if but if you go back 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you were on a set fixed income. You can't dip into your pension plan, your CPP or your old age security to take more to go on that extra trip or to spend on that car. You'd save for it or you'd wait and you wait until you have enough money for it or you get a loan. Absolutely. And that is sort of a, the double-edged sword that today's retirees or people who are thinking about approaching retirement today have, is they have the flexibility that if something happens, you know, they need to replace the roof or replace their car, or they want to go on the extra trip, they can just pull it from their savings. It's there. It's completely open to them. It's totally flexible. But it adds this layer of complexity because now, instead of just getting your paycheck on a monthly basis from your pension, CPP, OAS, and that's all you have to live on, now you have to decide as the quote-unquote bank yep. or the pension owner, the pension fund manager there, you have to decide, well, should this come out of my registered accounts or should it come out of my non-registered accounts? Where am I going to pay more tax if I have a personal corporation? How do I take money out of that? Should it be income? Should it be dividends? Should, is there a different way that we can do that? So then it becomes more difficult to manage over time and more complex. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, the, one of the challenges that this generation of retirees has that their parents didn't experience, that they need to actually go through and figure out where that should be coming from. And the tool for the, doing that is really the planning side, which I know you have a lot of experience with. Yeah, I think that's an important piece is setting up the plan. So I'm gonna, I think when you have that and you've got the ability to understand what the forecast of the future looks like, you can have some control over your spending. I do wanna touch base on that spending piece. I think you've, you've highlighted the fact that we're more open with so many different pieces of technology applications and so forth are out there. So let's, let's make up a person. Let's call him Dave Popwich. <laughs> Let's say that Dave Popwich has humongous fingers so he doesn't work well on a phone or a tablet, okay? How does Dave Popwich um, track his spending given today's world when before you were tracking your spending based on the income that's coming in? How does someone like Dave Popwich, it's made up character by the way, <laughs> how does he with his humongous fingers able to understand and see how much is he really spending. Yeah, no relation to anyone we know in person, yeah. in real life. Um, the, there are a couple of ways we can do that, and they kind of range from the very old-fashioned, uh, we're going to keep a spreadsheet of all the expenses that we spend in a month. Yeah. We go through our credit card statements, our debit card statements, and see where that money has gone. There are a couple of um, either apps or programs that can do that for you. So there's a few places that you can go. There's a that, that make that type of app, which will actually just connect to your account mm -hmm. and categorize that stuff for you. Yep. But very often your uh, banking account information will also give you that breakdown, at least at a very high level. It'll sort of give you a breakdown of this percent on sort of car-related expenses, this percent on home-related purchases, this percent on quote-unquote entertainment other. So we do have that option. It just sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to find. But... As you mentioned, the easiest way to do that is have everything gathered in one place. You know, you're not spending, you don't have five credit cards that you're tracking. You have 
one or two. And then that makes it simpler, at least, to see where the money goes on a regular basis. And Dave, if that's our made-up character, <laughs> Dave, if that's too complicated for you, because of your oversized fingers and using all those applications, a simple format as well that I like is take a look at your tax return. What was your net income? That's how much cash that came into you. How much did you put aside for savings that you have? RSP contribution, TFSA contribution, any money you put aside for savings. What do you have left in your bank accounts? If it's zero, that's how much you spend is the difference between what you made, what you saved. If you're not saving anything and you have no money at the end of the day, you're spending all your money. Now, where is where the individual pieces come into play, but I think that's important. So understanding your spending, having sure you have that lifestyle that you want for the rest of your retirement, I think that's a key piece. We're gonna talk about this at our upcoming seminar on how to bulletproof your retirement. What is that, Leanne? Absolutely, it is Tuesday, July 25th at 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Course. We are live in person and we'd love to have you join us there. Now, you do need to register for this, so please go to morethanmoneyradio.com and register, and we hope you can join us. On behalf of Lena Wachniak, myself, Faisal Carmelli, thank God Dave wasn't here, and thank you all for listening to the show on More Than Money on QR Calgary. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.